Father, thank you for all the glimpses via music that we are allowed to, to transport us into heaven or to think that that's going to sound like the, the babbling of a child compared to your voice excites us because that was so beautiful and powerful, so holy. Lord, even the song itself began to purify us, begin to create desires, hungers, to be all that you want us to be, to esteem Christ for all that he is, and desire, to desire to know all that he wants to do, to let him do all that he wants to do through us. Thank you for the purifying, purging, pruning effect of that song. It was good. It was a gift. And Father, we pray somehow that the music from this building would go out through the lives and the labors and the lips of these people, through their money, through their praying, through their going, that the world would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, our world is sick and it's dark. We know the light of the world. We know the answer, the God who will heal all disease and free all prisoners that belong to Christ. Father, help us through the power of the Spirit to persuade the unbelieving to love your glory, to love the life and work and person of Jesus so they'll be saved and they'll be singing like this with us forever in heaven. Throughout all the world today, we, help, we pray that you'd help the church to sing in hard places, persecuted places, and poor places. Help your church to sing. Help your church to believe. Help your church to bear fruit so that even the captors and fellow prisoners, villagers, and all those who pass by will hear and believe in Christ and be saved. To the ends of the earth we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had three words a minute ago I'm earlier this morning on my title and I took one off, but that's why there's a flying comma. Lisa asked me after the first service, why do you have a comma after that? And there is no explanation, it just stayed there. It's a whiteout right now. Lisa and I were married 36 years ago in First Baptist Church in North Augusta. And everyone who came that day was a personal friend of ours except two people. <laughs> True wedding crashers, Robbie and Murray. Robbie was best friends with one of the groomsmen in my wedding. And Murray was the sister of one of the groomsmen in our wedding. Well, at some point during that day at the reception, they met. They didn't know each other before. They met, they talked, and they decided that was so fun. They would talk some more, and they decided that was so fun. They would get married, and that all came out of our wedding. Well, they worked in their respective fields of engineering and medicine for many years, but then in 2005, they received in a church service like this a clear call from God 
to move to Central America and spend their lives sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ among the people of Nicaragua. One of the first things they did was to purchase a pineapple farm made possible because of generous believers in the states that could help them uh, purchase such a large amount of acreage. And they named it Pineapples of Peace. And they said that uh, they believed they could serve God in three ways through the Pineapples of Peace farm. Number one, <clears throat> grow enough fruit so they could raise money to build a classroom to train pastors to go out and preach throughout Central America. Number two, provide a place for local people to work to be able to experience the dignity of providing for your own family. Number three, have something to be able to share in the name of Jesus with the poor who have no money and no food at all. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you think it mattered when they moved to Nicaragua <clears throat> whether or not that pineapple farm produced fruit? Does it matter? Of course it mattered. That's why they went. That's why they purchased. That's why they stayed 12 years was so that they could bear fruit from that pineapple farm. Now, to ask a question of you, does it matter what you do with your life from this day forward? Does it matter? Jesus Christ answers with a thundering yes in John chapter 15, verse 8. This is what will bring my Father glory, what will shine the spotlight on His magnificence when you spend your lives bearing fruit fulfilling the purpose for which you were created and for which you were saved. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And this is what a disciple does. Thinks about the Father's glory and how can I shine the spotlight on the Father's glory? By bearing fruit. Now in this case, fruit would be, we'd find it as the character of God that's growing in you because your character matters because if you're witnessing and have a sorry character, nobody's going to hear your words. So the character of God that's growing in you and the witness of God that's flowing from you. So from the beauty of your life and the boldness of your words, the world hears the truth about the majesty and mercy of God, the weakness, the sinfulness of man, and the Savior who came at Christmas to bridge the distance between the two, God and man, with his life. That's what we do. We point to the glory of Christ so the world will be saved. G. Campbell Morgan says, The purpose of the church is the bearing that fruit for which the world is waiting. Waiting on in its sicknesses, its sins, and its miseries. I am a worthy member of Christ only as I am a branch from which fruit is plucked for the benefit of the world. What's the matter? How important is it? the decision you do with your life? Well, it's a matter of life and death. The world is eating right now rotten fruit and drinking deadly poison. And the only answer for these who are dying is that we would give them the message of the person and work of Christ, died on the cross for their sins, rose from the dead, and he's the only one that can bring dead people, dead in their sin, back to life.
Well, that mission is so urgent. No surprise to me that the powers of darkness and our adversary would do all that he can, been doing, doing a number on you this week, to discourage you to say, I am no longer living for that message. And it's amazing when you would think that even a zealous, maybe the most zealous, mission-loving person in the world like Ronnie would struggle, can I live out this mission for God? Ronnie, come and tell the story of how God used his word to remind you this is the only mission worth living for. Thank you, Richard. You know, one of the many things that I love about the Holy Scriptures is, but it's captivated in my heart, is, is, is the divine theme of God's heart for the nations. And this divine theme of, of how he uses, he's chosen his church to be the instrument, to be the instrument that he will use to display his glory here and across the nations. I, I love, it captivates my heart. And, and today that looks like by praying, we, we pray, we send, we give, and we go. And a year ago, I found myself going. I was in India. And as many times when we're in India, a long couple weeks, and uh, we have been doing teaching and training and counseling and member care. And I, I was exhausted. And like it happens a lot in India as well, we, another unexpected task gets added to the end of the week. And our partner said, by the way, tomorrow morning, this is Saturday night, tomorrow morning, love for Richard, you go teach in this village Sunday morning service, Ronnie, you go teach in this village Sunday morning service, and the task before me was, was overwhelming. The church I was asked to go teach at was a, a church that had been going through a lot of trials and, and persecution. It was a church that was in the middle of a village, middle of a town where over 160 Hindu temples surrounded it. The only Christian church. The previous two leaders have been forced out of the village. And the leader that was in place now was going through deep depression. So I found myself Saturday night laying in the bed in India a year ago saying, I don't want the task. God, I don't want to teach tomorrow. It's too, what do I have to say to a church like this? They've suffered more in the last 12 months than I've suffered in 41 years of my life. I don't want the task. I just want to go home. And in that moment, I remember I, I called my wife. And, and as I'm explaining that to my wife, my wife says, well, you just, you just need to pray. We'll be praying for you. You just need to start with prayer. And I remember opening my Bible, because in my Bible I, I keep a little prayer guide that just helped me stay on track with, with my prayer life. And I, I began to just pray to God. And, and, and when I opened my Bible, right there as I opened it was John 15 and verse 16 highlighted from a time where I had, I had written or highlighted before. And it was like as if God was speaking to me right in that moment saying, Ronnie, listen to me, my child. 
And the verse says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And I was so captivated by this verse that I said, I have to read the whole chapter. So I started reading from John 15, 1. And it's this beautiful, beautiful illustration. And I don't know how it happened, but I just started imagining, wow. As I read through the scriptures and read through that chapter. And here we are. Jesus is walking with his disciples. And it's the night before he gets crucified. He was about to get arrested and about to be sent to the cross. And he's walking. And I, I just wonder if he's walking. And as he's walking to the garden, comes about a vineyard and just looking at the intentionality and the tenderness of our savior he i wonder if he knelt down in that moment and he said look at this vineyard let me tell you about the vine and the branches and the gardener and he goes in through 17 verses he goes through this relationship of the branch and the vine and in 17 verses, he uses the word abide 11 times. And it grabbed my attention. Abide, remain, cling to me. I, I look at that verse, and I was so encouraged that I, I hope, my prayers that it would encourage you this morning. Because here's the reality. We're all going to go through some hard, hard times in our lives where the option to quit seems better than to continue to go and abide. If you're not there yet, it will happen. And this scripture says, you, you didn't choose me, Ronnie. Just cling to me. Just abide. We're able to abide because he first chose us. We're able to abide because he is the one that appointed us. And we're able to abide because the fruit that he promises is his life being manifested through us. So abide. Cling. The only fruit that will last is fruit that grows out of the cross. Thank you, Ronnie. I, I really wanted Ronnie to share... Because when a, a strong man of God like that, he didn't tell me till months later that we got back how scared he was that night. I'd never been to that village, and I put him in a taxi the next morning and said, I'll see you, maybe. And, um, <laughs> and <clears throat> when you're traveling with Ronnie, a lot of times you just, he just seems to be so chill. As a matter of fact, earlier in the week, he had come to my bedroom that night and fallen asleep. He takes a sleeping pill. He's out in five minutes wherever he is. And he'd taken a sleeping pill and was asleep in my bed. And I went to his room. <laughs> so I thought he was chill. And then for him to say, I, I want to go home. That was so encouraging to me. Because I can't tell you how often in life I just hear the, the, the enemy say, stop, quit, go home, and be done with fruit bearing, and then we see John 15, 16, which is nothing more than an echo, a repeat of John 15, 8. I've chosen you to bear fruit. This is the thing, the only thing that you should really be focused on in life. Ronnie did say this verse falls within the context of a deeper message when Jesus had been telling 
the disciples using the metaphor of fruit growing out of a vine. So even though we looked at it two weeks ago, let me just bring you up to speed in case you weren't here. <clears throat> John 15, 6, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so it can do more. So there's four characters in the story. There's the vine, which is a reminder. All the nutrients that God has for us in his life flow to us only through Jesus Christ. He's the vine. God is the gardener. He is the one in charge of the seasons of life, winter, spring, summer, fall, to quote my friend James Taylor. God's in charge of the seasons. He's in charge of how the world, where it's going, history. He's the gardener. And he's in charge of my life. Then there's a branch with no fruit. So these are Jesus telling the disciples, you're going to be surrounded by many people that look like branches, but they don't want to grow. They don't want to live for the glory of God. We call them defectors. They hung around Christ for his miracles, but not for his cross. Every time he started blood talk, they left. John 6, 66 says many of his disciples, there are many people who can leave Christ because they just love him for fun and games and food, not the cross. Then there are true disciples. Those are the people who say, God, you're worthy for me to use my life to tell other people about your salvation in Christ. So these people, the reward they get for shining their light on God, living their life to bear fruit, the reward they get is God prunes them. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes them. The pruning in this verse is a cutting. It's a cleansing. It hurts. And it always occurs at a place of your life that you would say, Oh, not that place. And that's where God prunes. If there were an easier way for God to produce fruit and more fruit in your life, he would do it without pruning. When you see the gardener coming with the pruning shears in his hand, it's not because he's angry with you, it's because he's pleased with you. You've experienced God, you're going to experience him more. You've made an impact for, more, uh, for God you're going to make now more of an impact for God because he's pruning you. Even though you would say, please don't prune me now. Here's Jesus' philosophy. What could be better than fruit? More fruit. And so he prunes to produce more fruit. In fact, this week as I was reading uh, about vineyards, just because I got so into this a few weeks ago in our first run through John 15, I found out that the oldest vines in the vineyard are the ones that are pruned the most. At 58, sometimes I say, God, lay off. And, it, and I feel like I'm in a time of pruning now that is more severe than 10 years ago. Like, like, I, like I have less confidence as a speaker now than I used to. I must have used to have really been annoying but I'm like, it's like scarier than ever, and I, and I do that thing. I want to go home. 
more than ever, just pruning, he's stripping me of confidence in me so that I would have confidence in him. And he did this to David, also King David, 1 Samuel 25. It's a really unusual story. This is after David. You know, David, he's the giant slayer. So this is after David was approached by Samuel and said, you are going to be the next king of Israel. Then, 1 Samuel 25 is after when David confronted a 10-foot tall giant and killed him with a, a sling and a stone. It turned him into a national hero. They wrote praise songs about him. I asked Hunter to do that. He said, no, we're going to keep him about Jesus. They wrote praise songs about David because he's king, giant killer, and read 1 Samuel 25, he spends months hiding in a cave because the, his predecessor, King Saul, is trying to kill him. What gives? God was pruning him. He was already anointed. He had already had victory in war, but now God was pruning him to become Israel's king for 40 years. And it took, it took the humiliation of being in a cave. It made him more dependent on the Lord. To say it one way, David used his pain to become a platform. I talked to a man yesterday who works with, uh, our, with inmates uh, that are being reintegrated in the society. And I said, Don, what are you telling your men, what are you telling your women now who are coming out of, out of prison? He said, I'm telling everyone, I'm, let your pain become your platform. That's what pruning is about. You got this pain, what do I do with this pain? Somehow, it's going to be a platform for me to glorify the Lord even more. You don't know why. You don't know how long. The only thing you know in the middle of pain is who? Gardener. My father in heaven is doing this. My father. you got to think father. He's the one with the pruning shears. Satan doesn't run this world. Disease doesn't run this world. God, my father, the gardener, runs this world. He's pruning me. The most loving being in the world. For God so loved the world, sent his son... That's who's pruning me. And he's pruning you always for one purpose, for you to have more impact for the spreading of the glory of God. Psalm 66. Israel says to God, you tested us, you refined us like silver. You laid burdens on our backs. Ouch. But you brought us to a place of abundance, more fruit, growth. It's why he does what he does. You know what, let me just tell you, for those of you who are suffering today in this church, I just want to tell you, there's a day where your pain will produce harvest. It won't always be pain. It's going to be harvest. There's going to be a day where John 15, 8 is manifested. Right now it's pruning. One day it's going to be John 15, 8 where you bear much fruit. I love this quote by John Piper. He said, Lord, it's about much fruit. Let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. Wow. And that's a bold prayer. I want to do far more than can be explained by this body and this life. 
But if you're going to do that, God's going to produce that kind of fruit. He's going to answer that prayer. You're going to have to endure the pruning. And the only way you endure the pruning is by abiding. Ronnie used that word abiding, remaining with Christ. We read it two weeks ago, but I, I just can't get off of it because I'm struggling to do it. This is the key to 2020. Hope points growth. This is our future. This unlocks everything. Remain, abide. The words are interchangeable, depending on what translation. Abide in me as I also abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you will do nothing. So what is abiding? To be a working definition. Let's call it a continual submitting to Christ, a continual conversing with Christ, a continual trusting Christ, a continual longing for Christ. I have a friend of mine, Tom, he's a stockbroker in Augusta. Every time we pray on the phone, he begins his prayer with, and Lord, and what's that? He's continuing to, he's has evidently been talking to God earlier in the day. And Lord, Brother Lawrence was a 17th century believer who worked in the kitchen of a monastery. Felt like he really grasped abiding. And this is what, how he described his relationship, why he stayed so strong in the Lord. He said, abiding is a simple attentiveness and a habitual loving turning of my eyes on him. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. In light of his glory and grace. Y'all know that song? Can we sing it together? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. All the time, just looking at the face of Christ. Look at him on the cross. Look at him as a baby in the manger. Look at him when he comes out of the tomb. I counseled somebody this week in my office. I just, they were just loaded up with guilt. I said, look at him on the cross, loving you with his eyes. Look at him coming out of the tomb, loving you with his eyes. Look to Christ always. A conversation between the soul and God which doesn't end. Can you imagine how often we go through the day, we'll say something to God in the morning, and the rest of the day, no conversing with God? That's not a life of abiding. Why, did, why was Jesus... Listen, in John 15, 1 through 10, he used the word abide or remain 10 times. Night before he dies, he focuses on one word times 10. Why? 
because these men were about, they were tasked with going throughout the Roman Empire, using their life, their energy, fishermen, uneducated, going, sharing the life, death, and resurrection with people, God-haters, pagan, loving, temple dwellers, trying to persuade them to value the glory of God above all other pleasures and treasures and to believe that Christ is the only one who can bring them into the presence of God's glory. And so he, Jesus telling these men, I'm just asking you to do something impossible and the only way you can do it is to do it with me. Men, abide with me. Or you can't do it. Hudson Taylor was the founder of the China Inland Mission in the mid-19th century. He led hundreds of young people right out of college to leave America and England and to move into the interior of China and to give their life to die there for the spread of the gospel to a place that at that time was unreached. No churches, no gospel witness, no chance for people to come to know the salvation of the Lord. And when he was 37 years old, with pressure increasing, his life changed when he came to John chapter 15 and learned the secret of abiding moment by moment with Christ. This is what his son, Frederick Howard Taylor, wrote about his dad, Hudson Taylor, a missionary. This is what Frederick Howard Taylor wrote in 1932. Here was a man, almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm, untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters. Those letters contained anything. They might contain news of death, lack of missionary funding, no money. Might be reports of riots in another city because of the gospel. Yet all the letters were opened and read and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm, dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources. And this he did by an attitude of faith as simple as it was continuous, yet he was delightfully free and natural. It was the true abiding of John 15. That's possible. But not if your relationship with God is hit and miss. You'll never have joy and peace like that apart from abiding. You'll never bear fruit apart from this kind of abiding. You'll quit. Everything is related to abiding. Think about how many people crowd into churches in America every week who are not bearing fruit with their life. They're not bearing any fruit. Yesterday, two women pulled up in this parking lot and unloaded 40 pillows. They're in that shell space to your left. Those 40 pillows are going to be sent to 40 children in this city whose mattress is a concrete floor and have no pillow. Does it matter what those women do with their life? Yes, it matters. Because those children are going to see the glory of God in a pillow given in Jesus' name. Now think about how many people could give away pillows or visit children or go on these short-term trips or long-term investing their life in missions, giving more, praying more, but they're not abiding. 
and therefore they're not fruit bearing. No fruit. It's a sad picture. It's the saddest picture I know of believers that have no fruit from their life. You know, and at any moment of your life, you know right now whether or not you're abiding in Christ. It's not a feeling. That's why I had Ronnie share. It's precisely why I had him share. Feelings did not get him to preach in that church on the north side of Bangalore. No feelings. He was a baby child scared. Not feelings. What got him there was abiding in the word and because his wife told him to pray. Abiding gets you to fruit bearing, not feelings. So how do you know if you're abiding? Jesus makes it very clear. John 15 tells us three ways you can know whether or not you're abiding. Do you cherish his word? Are you obeying his will? And are you relying own prayer. Let's look at the Bible. One of the components of it, components of abiding. John 15, 7, remain in me and my words remain in you. Do you know why a vine dresser, why a gardener would ever go and prune to begin with? Because the vines, even the productive ones, grow so thick that they can eventually crowd out the sunshine so that the inner vines are living in the dark and will not produce. And this is our life, apart from reading the Word of God, that the inner resources of our life do not get exposed to the radiance of the glory of the face of Christ. And he can't shine on the inner resources, the deep areas of our life. They're dark. And whatever is dark in there, you're never going to be free from that if Christ's radiance is not shining on you. You meet Christ by walking with him in his word. You don't read the Bible for information. You read it for adoration. Because you're reading about your best friend. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said this is how you should view your relationship with him. John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. Bruce Wilkerson has written one of the best books on abiding with Christ, a little short book, my favorite kind of books, that tall, big words. And it's, it's on John 15. And he confesses in that book that even though he was the president of Walk Through the Bible Ministries, which affected me greatly when I was a young, young guy, young pastor, he said, there came a time in my life when I found out I had become an expert at serving God, yet I was a novice at being his friend. Serving, 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 busy, 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 no friendship. That's a quick way to a dry life. So we don't read a Bible to meet a goal, gain knowledge, 
simply for the sake of knowing more about your faith. No, you read the Bible to meet a person, to love Jesus, to walk with him. If you sit down in the morning and you're rushed, you won't meet Christ. If you sit down in the morning and you read tired, read the Bible tired, because you should have gone to bed early, you won't meet Christ. You read the Bible and you are harbors, har, har, um, harboring and cherishing, if those are together, harboring. If you're harbor, harboring and cherishing sin, you won't meet Christ. Because you're making a statement that you don't value friendship with him at that point. Abiding is all about having and developing a friendship with Jesus Christ. That's what abiding is about. Hanging out, adoring my friend. Laid in manger, laid on the cross, laid on a cold stone rock in a tomb, and rose with triumph for my salvation. It's my friend. Unless friendship with God becomes your first priority, you'll never fulfill the purposes for which you are here on this earth. Friendship with God is, has to be your first priority above all other things. My challenge to you, when you leave the, this room today, you decide, you decide, I'm going to seek the Lord until I find Him. That may not happen on Bible day number one, Bible day number 30. It will happen though. You decide to seek the Lord until you find Him. Number two, how do I abide in Christ? How do I remain close? Through obedience. John 15, 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now you shouldn't read that verse as fear of losing your salvation. That's, that, that's really not how Coach Jesus is going to have a locker room talk with his disciples right before he dies. You don't obey me, you're going to hell. Bye. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, men, look at my life. My whole life was spent in obeying God, and as a result of my constant surrender, I have enjoyed an unbroken communion with God the Father. Learn from me. If you harbor sin in your life, you're sacrificing your communion. You have to make a choice. I either want to walk with God or stay in this sin. New branches that grow from the vine. When branches are small, they grow like this. They, they, they're so weak, they, they grow downward. And they grow on the dirt, and they get a little dust on them. And then when the rain falls on that dust, sometimes it just smashes them, drives them farther into the ground, and they're covered up from the sunlight. 
And so the vine dresser, the gardener, has to come and gently take up these, lift up these little small branches and put them back on the trellis so they can grow. This is the picture of a Christian living in sin, attached to Jesus, but going and laying on the dirt. I don't know what your dirt is, but that dirt covering you Light of Christ can't get through. You're under that sin that you now love. Cherishing that sin more than the light. And Christ bends down, picks up that vine, and very aggressively cleans off that dirt. Now that's painful. That's discipline. That's a rebuke. You know exactly what he's doing. You know the gardener has walked through his vineyard and seeing you laying on the ground in that dirt, in that sin, and you, little branch, look at the eyes of your gardener father, that's a painful look every time. But he's not done with you, picks you up, cleans you off. The great news of the gospel is that at any time you won't no longer, no matter how long you've been on that ground, in that dirt, in that sin, whenever you say, I want to grow again, God says, today I will answer that prayer. It's up to you today of how much pain you want to stay in. Stay on the ground or say, God, lift me up. I want to grow again. Third way that we grow is by way of prayer. I don't have time to talk about everything I want to say about prayer. There are two major directions I want to go with this. I'll just go with one now, but I do want to at least read this outrageous statement by Jesus. Some of you are troubled by it. Some of you probably are bitter about it right now. John 15, 7, this is how you abide, by praying. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So let me just make some general statements about prayer and sort of wrap it up. Very difficult to pray. Probably the hardest place to pray in the world is America. In our Western culture, we can fix most things through time, money, and ability. So why would we bring God into the situation when we can just time, money, and ability our answer? So we're really not in a culture that is desperate, dependent on God because of our abilities. And if you read John 1, 1 through 16, you can probably come up, I did, six ways in which we need to live in dependency on God. Prayer is the expression of your dependency. That's how you voice your dependency on God. There's one thing to be dependent it's all together to let the words come out of your mouth. I need you to help me love you. I can't even love you. So you want to ask a big prayer? Number one big prayer is, I don't love you. Help me love you. So prayer is just leaping, 
once again leaping by faith into the arms of God, the gardener, your father, and saying, I can't get to where, I can't get there from here. I don't have the ability to get there. I can't do it. I can't do it. Hold me. Carry me there. I can't do it. Jesus invites you to ask big things of him in prayer. I mean, you can't miss that. So, I got I to I address that. I can't go to the second half of what I want to talk about prayer. I just want to go to this. You ask something big of Christ in prayer, and you don't get it. Poses some problems in light of that verse. Here's my plea for you. Pray to God as your father. Pray to Jesus as your friend. And don't come to him like an auditor with a magnifying glass demanding that he open the books so you can accuse him of every single moment in which you believe he did not answer the prayer the way it should have been answered. Let me explain why. This is the first reason I just want to say about prayer. I mean, it's a big invitation to pray, but I just feel like we can't even get to the big invitation to pray until we get to this unanswered prayer thing. Let me just tell you how unanswered prayer turns into answered prayer. So it's true. You are part of a huge story story's been going on now for about 6,000 years and however long eternity is before that. But 6,000 is all I've got. 6,000 years, you're part of that. There's a lot happening behind you. There's still a lot that's going to happen in front of you, a lot happening around you, a lot happening in you. All around you, this big story is taking place. And you're just a part of it. And so God is always answering prayers in light of how you fit in the big story. Four things you need to believe about God when your prayer seems like it's unanswered or you didn't answer like the answer. You've got to remember these things, four things about God the gardener. If God is sovereign, then He is in control of all the details of my life. He's the gardener. He's in charge of the vineyard. God's sovereign. He's in charge. Not Satan. Not disease. Not circumstances. God is in charge of this big story. Secondly, if he's loving, then he's going to be shaping the details of my life for good. It's what loving people do. They work for your good. God's the most loving, therefore he's working for the greatest good. Third thing to believe about God, if he's all wise, then he's not going to do everything I want because I don't know what I need in light of the big story. Fourth, if he's patient, then he's going to take time 
a lot more time than I think to bring this about. So my plea for you today, don't quit praying. Prayers answered differently than you thought it was going to be. Those four things are about true. Those four things about God are true. Then what do I do with this sense of unanswered prayer or unbelievable, painful answer to prayer? Finish the prayer. The first part of your prayer was this. Oh God, please do this big giant thing. God says, no. Well, that hurt my feelings completely. Broke my heart completely. And then God says, ask me for more. Ask me for more than what you asked me for the first time. And here's that prayer. God, you just broke my heart. Make me strong now to live with your answer. And when that display of the power of God falls on your life, you're going to say that aspect of God's power was much greater than the power that I was originally asking for. So your prayer is not finished. You didn't get what you asked for. Now ask for the strength and the joy and the hope To live with the answer he did give. And when you experience his rescuing power, you will say, I did ask and Jesus did answer. Let's pray. Father, we know the world is filled with A lot of prayers right now stuck between part A and B. So a lot of hurting people, a lot of despairing Christians. I pray for them right now that they would turn their eyes on Jesus. Look at his face in the manger. Sweet baby. Precious child. I pray they would look at him as a little boy playing outside, his mama watching him, Jesus. I pray they would see him working so hard with his father in the carpenter shop. And then one day, leaving to go preach about the kingdom of God. I pray they will see his eyes, loving the crowds, feeding the hungry, Touching the oozing, pussy sores of the leper. Completely correcting the crippled ankle of a disfigured man. Praying with his disciples, 
this very night in John 15, not running from the torch-bearing Romans coming to arrest him and crucify him. I pray this hurting crowd of people waiting for prayers to be answered will look at Christ on the cross, look at his eyes, even so tender toward his mother that he says, John's going to take care of you, Mama. Take care of her, John. I pray that this crowd, Lord, as they wait between part A and part B, would see Jesus coming out of the tomb, walking through the doors of the upper room to disciples who had failed him. They'd look at his eyes as he says to them, peace be with you, and breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Lord, help this crowd abide. Through the word, look at Christ. Through the word, run from sin. Through the word, get off the ground. Let the Father pick them up. Through the word, turn their pain into a platform. Through the word, bear the fruit for which the world waits to eat from our hands, from our money, from our missionaries, from our preaching and our singing. May this church never stop praying, never stop bearing fruit, never stop abiding. Jesus, you are our hope, and we pray this in your name. Amen.